Those of you who know Connor Murphy and our support for him as a church as he was doing his discipleship training school uh, with YWAM Ozarks, next, they, they just got back, they landed, they're in Houston, they're safe, they're going to start their uh, trip back up here. But they approached us last week and said that we had been such an encouragement to them as a church that they wanted to share, um, just say thank you to us. So they're going to come in here next Sunday while we're here worshiping and create this fabulous Tajik meal, which I've eaten a lot of food in my life, and I don't know if I've ever eaten Tajik. So, but we need to get a handle on how many people are going to be there for them. So there's a, Jane is passing around a sheet. Also, we have an Eventbrite site up where you can go. We're just asking $5 a person, uh, 10 bucks for your family. We'll use that, those funds for the summer mission trips here. But really, it would be an incredible thing for us to stay after and just hear briefly from Connor about his outreach, what they've been doing, and let them say thank you. That's, that's what they wanted to do, was say thank you to us as Grace. So I really want to encourage you to sign up for that so they have an idea of how much to prepare um, for that, because they're doing it all on their own. We're not doing any of it. They're coming in and, and doing the whole thing for us. We also just, this is a little bit unusual, but we have a few announcements that we need to make. Um, those of you who, who may have known our, uh, our administrator, our friend, um, our den mom, Feli, fell when, she, uh, when we had the ice a few weeks back and was severely, had a severe concussion, had staples put in her head for bleeding and all that. And she's still working through the recovery. It's been a lot longer than, uh, than she initially thought with that. So as a result, we're, we're running on a skeleton crew here, and we're different people doing different things that, um, that normally they don't do. So just be patient with us as we work through getting the learning guides out and, and all the things normally that Feli does, we're having to fill in, and we really don't know how long that's going to take. Um, one of the things, uh, Teresa's job, is making sure that we have enough volunteers for things. Um, she does that in conjunction. Philly helps support it, but it's fallen solely on Teresa now. And we really need people to help with slides right now. So if you are interested at all in doing that, um, see Teresa, because we need help with that. So we've got the Tajik meal uh, sign-up going around, and then pray about that where you could serve and help us fill in while Feli is recovering for that. As we transition now into our time of teaching of worship by engaging the word, I want to read to you a quote. Actually, I'm going to read to you a couple different quotes, but I want to start with this one. It says, unfortunately, in seeing ourselves as we truly are, not all of what we see is beautiful and attractive. This is undoubtedly part of the reason we flee silence. We do not want to be confronted with our hypocrisy, our phoniness, our denials. We see how false and fragile is the false self we project and we have, come, we have to go through this painful experience to come to our true self. It is a harrowing journey, a death to self, the false self, and no one wants to die. But it's in silence that this process often begins. 
increasingly in our ever increasing volume of society, the noise, it's easy to not come to terms with who we truly are. In this season of Lent, one of the main focuses is to stop. Stop the noise. Stop the posturing. Stop the busyness. And to listen. We've been going through this book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, and every week someone's been writing on it, and Terry's post, Terry Naylor's post this week, is incredibly profound, where she says this, transformation requires the honesty of authentic self-awareness. And so we're going to practice that a little bit this morning. We're going to practice that as our call to worship. We're going to practice sitting in silence, if nothing else, to make room for what the Holy Spirit wants to say today, to reveal God, to reveal ourselves, and to reveal our place in this community. So take a few minutes, and let's sit Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We know you're here as we have gathered in your name, the name of Jesus. But we invite you now to reveal to us who we are. And through that experience to lead us to look more closely at you. To know you more deeply, to love you more passionately, to follow you more closely. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Teach us today. We ask in that name of Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome everybody. Bienvenidos. Welcome to everybody who's watching on Facebook, everybody who listens on the podcast. We're really glad you're here this morning at Grace. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I love looking out and seeing our newest uh, members of our community, the babies that are here. It's just awesome. I love this. I love this place with that. Um, So we're really glad that you're here. And uh, I heard it once said that people don't suddenly go bad, but they are suddenly found out. And I've mulled over this in my mind in the years since first hearing it. And I think all of us, to one degree or another, have experienced that awful, cold, in the pit of your stomach feeling of being found out, of being caught red-handed, of being revealed as something that we were trying to hide with that. Peter had this in the extreme 
as we find out in our text today. But it's not just Peter. See, you know, that cliche, well, you had to have been there, right? We use that often just as an excuse because we're not very good storytellers, right? We start telling the story and then we realize I've totally lost this person. Well, and then we just say, well, you had to have been there, right? Well, fortunately for us, John is an excellent storyteller. And he's been leading us through these stories and inviting us to participate, inviting us to understand. And what we continually find is ourselves in the story. Like John literally puts us in the story. Through his literary devices, through the way that he writes, we find ourselves in these stories. In a way, we are there. We're experiencing this. We're experiencing this as, we, as we've walked through with the, the turning of the water into the wine at the wedding in Cana, Canaan, as we've seen him call Lazarus out of the grave, as Martha gives her confession. And these confessions happen. The blind man, as he's healed, he gives the confession. Martha gives hers. And now Peter gives his, but in a very different way. It's amazing to see the way the Bible is constructed with all its nuance, with all its complexity, and the way that it draws us into the story. Just when we think, hey, yes, we're all for Jesus, yes. We respond, he heals, we say, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. And then we get to Peter and it's like, I don't know the man. And we're all caught up short. Well, let's, let's look at what the text says today. So we're in John 18, starting with verse 12. And we've jumped ahead. We're, we're, we're jumping ahead. We're already in the Passion Week with this. Um, and I encourage you during this time, read the whole book of John. It, it's, it's a great read. Um, but we start here. It says, Then the squad of soldiers with their commanding officer and the officers of the Jewish leaders arrested Jesus and tied him up. They brought him first to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jewish leaders that it was to their advantage that one man die for the people. Now in the learning guide this week, there's a really interesting link that tells you all about how the trial went and where they went and what the house looked like. And it's great information, so I'm not going to go into that in detail here. Just know as you use the learning guide this week that that information is available. The text continues, Simon Peter And another disciple followed them as they brought Jesus to Annas. Now the other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, and he went in with Jesus to the high priest's courtyard. But Peter was left standing outside by the door. So the other disciple who was acquainted with the high priest came out, spoke to the slave girl who watched the door, and brought Peter in. Now, if you were just reading this and you didn't know the context, you wouldn't quite see the nuance that John is trying to produce here. And in one of the commentaries that we used as the teaching team uh, to bring this message together, they noted this, that the gate and courtyard here are the words for gate and door and sheepfold, the same words used in the Good Shepherd discourse. So John is purposely calling back our mind to that whole teaching of Jesus saying, I am the gate. 
I am the gatekeeper. And what we see is that he's, he's, he's bringing that to our mind. And it says, here, there, Jesus both enters by the gate and is the gate himself. Now, in the fold of the high priest, Jesus is the shepherd gate, is laying down his life in order to take it up again. It's great. Later, it will be clear to Peter, as we, as, and, and we as Jesus' sheep, might also come to see that the very gate leads to him, and every courtyard is his. And even if we close ourselves away behind locked doors from the dangers of the world, Jesus comes to be there. Jesus, the gate, the gatekeeper, willfully enters into the fold of the robber, of the thief, of the one who destroys, of the one who takes away. That's what Jesus does. He predicted it in the discourse. I lay down my life for the sheep. Here, he's doing it. He's not just talking about it, but he's demonstrating it. Well, it goes on. It says, the girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you are not one of this man's disciples too, are you? And he replied, I am not. Now the slaves and the guards were standing around a charcoal fire they had made, warming themselves because it was cold. Peter was standing himself also. While this was happening, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Now, this is incredibly ironic. You need to, you need to catch this. I was uh, talking with Alex as we were riding our bikes this week. You know, Peter is the one who said, I will go to the death with you, Jesus, right? Bold, blustering Jesus who, who even, he straps on a sword, right? He's cut the, the servant's ear off when they tried to come. And, and I'm sure in his mind, he's convinced, bring it on, right? Come on, Br bring those Romans on. We'll fight to the death. I'm, I am on Jesus' team. I am strong. We will fight. We will do this thing. And literally, it is a slave girl that turns him around to, no, not me. I'm not one of them. And, and in one way, that's ironic but in another way, it's, it's very instructive for us. I mean, literally, this is the knight who's, who's gearing up, armoring up to go slay the dragon. And as soon as he gets on the horse to go, a worm crawls across the front of his horse, and he screams and lifts up and runs away. Like, it doesn't take a legion of Roman soldiers to make him run. But the knowing accusation of a slave girl, the, the, the lowest of the low in that society at that time. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we have an imagination about how strong we are, about how good our witness is, about how we're going to do the right thing and we're going to stand up and I would never deny Jesus and I would never give up. And in a way, 
as long as it is that strong opposition, as long as it comes at us in a way that we understand, that we choose, that we've romanticized about, right? Of course I'll die for Jesus. When the you know, when they come to take away our rights as Christians, you know, I'll stand up and I'll be crucified with that. But that's not the way it happens. Instead, it's the small compromises. The little things. The stuff that our friends at the office say. Our coworkers invite us into things that we know we shouldn't do, but we just go along with it. And for all our blustering, for all our posturing, for all our confidence that, hey, we're not going to do that, we really end up doing it quite a bunch, or at least I do. Well, let's look at this. Let's continue to read. Jesus replied, I have spoken publicly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple courts where all the Jewish people assemble together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said. They know what I said. When Jesus had said this, one of the high priest officers who stood nearby struck him on the face and said, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus replied, If I have said something wrong, confirm what is wrong. But if I spoke correctly, why strike me? Then Annas sent him, still tied up, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing in the courtyard warming himself. They said to him, you're not one of his disciples too, are you? And Peter denied it. I am not. One of the high priest's slaves, a relative of the man whose, Peter, whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the orchard with him? <clears throat> Peter denied it again, and immediately the rooster crowed. Peter, who has heard Jesus say, I am when tested, turns and says, I am not. Could there be a more distinct contrast between the steadfast, loving, perfect confession of God's love for us and our wavering, fearful, fleshly response to that. Because y'all, look, none of us is that different than Peter. None of us is that different. We're all accused of following Jesus in various ways throughout by various voices and various, they're saying, are you one of his followers? Tim, are you one of his followers? Dwayne, are you one of his followers? Are you? And not not in positive ways. Not in ways that are like, hey, you get in if you are. But in ways that say, because if you are, 
there's trouble. If you are, there's rejection. If you are, there's a price to pay. We're all asked this question. And both Jesus and Peter are asking here, and Jesus' answer stands as what is true, what is good, what is right, what is lovely, what is pure, and ours stands as what is so often. But before we get down, before we lose sight, we have to remember Peter is an enigma here. We can't just judge him according to this one thing. Because he's the one who stood, who stepped up up to this point. He's the one who said, yes, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. To who else are we go? Peter's confession up to this point has been positive. It has been forceful, even spirit-led in response. But what this teaches us is that ultimately, ultimately and always, I, we just can't do it ourselves. We don't have it in us, in and of our own selves, to stay faithful. You may not be able to imagine a time, but I can tell you it's possible. Where every one of us in here would deny Jesus. We would walk away. You may never come to that point in your life. It may never come to that point. But all of us, like Peter are capable of it. And if it were to end there, if that was going to be the end of the story that this, that the Jesus, one of his top disciples, blows it at the end, it would be a sad story indeed. But then something happens. You see, because we have to look at this in the context of Peter's life, Peter gets another chance. Later on, we know as we read through the book of Acts, after he is restored by Jesus, Peter's confession turns back around. And he boldly proclaims Jesus even when he is faced with death again. Even when he is faced with imprisonment and beatings he stands up. So what changes? What happens? Because this is what we need to see. Listen, the only way we're going to enter into this silence, the only way we're going to have the courage to sit and listen, the only way we're going to have the courage to deal with our own failures our own denials, our own weaknesses. As if we have a promise beyond that. If we have a way to take that and see it transformed supernaturally into something that carries us through. And that's what Peter saw. You see, Peter watches Jesus Never waver. Even though he wavers. Even though Peter blows it, he watches Jesus. And Jesus doesn't waver. And Jesus doesn't condemn him. Jesus doesn't shame him. Jesus doesn't give up on him. 
But after the resurrection, comes back and seeks him out and restores him. And entrusts him. Think about that for a minute. Think of the worst thing. The worst thing that you have done or could do. And then imagine Jesus still coming back to restore you. Imagine Jesus still coming back to entrust to you this witness. This task of being one of his followers, one of his disciples. That's what gives us the courage to sit during this season of Lent, to repent. That's what gives us the courage to sit and deal honestly and forthrightly with our failures. That's what gives us the courage to hear the rooster crowing for us is knowing that there's something beyond that. We all need to experience as Peter did. And this is tough to say, y'all. I don't like it. But we all need to hear that rooster crowing. We all need to deal with where we failed. We all need to own our own disloyalty. Our own confessions of I am not. Because that's what opens us then to have God come in and restore us. Because as long as we think we've got it together, as long as we think we're going to do it in our own strength, as long as we think that we can get through this on our, just our own willpower and effort, God is shut out. And it is this understanding, this listening to the rooster crow that breaks us and opens us to the redemption of Jesus. So I want to ask you this week, where is your rooster? Where do you hear it? Where is the rooster crowed in your life? And maybe you've drowned that out, maybe you've ignored it, but it's there. How many times have we chosen to live according to our fleshly identity? instead of our born-again inheritance and heritage. Listen for that this week, but do it in this context. Set time apart to focus, to seriously consider in our life, in your life, what Jesus has done in response. Take time to saturate your imagination with the art, the literature, the song, the music, the word, the scripture, so that the Holy Spirit can respond to that humbling, to that breaking. Put yourself in that place to listen, not just to the rooster, but to the Savior as well, who says, feed my sheep who restores you to discipleship, restores you to fellowship, and then supernaturally gives you the ability to walk that out.
I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we reflect on this. Here at Grace Church, we invite this time of response because I don't listen. Hey, y'all, don't believe me just because I said this. I don't expect you to just take that. I expect you to wrestle with it. I expect you with your, in your individual devotions and in your community group time, your grace group time, wrestle with this. Weigh it. Is it from the Spirit? We start that process now. We start it as we, as we worship, as we reflect, as we pray, as we take communion together, as we share by giving an offering. But weigh this out through the week and see what the Spirit is saying to you. Everyone here who is seeking Jesus, who is seeking that affirmation, that divine restoration, is welcome at this table. Look, do you ever think about that? That Jesus, as he took that bread, I mean, he, we all know that he knew G Judas, what Judas was doing. But that night when he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, he knew what Peter was going to do as well. And yet Peter was invited. Peter was fed. You didn't earn this. Nobody, nobody walks up here earns this. This is not a reward. It's not something you're going to get and pay back. This is sign and symbol. This is metaphor and mystery. And this is a reality of God's love for us, God's promise to us, of God's presence with us is in this table, in this bread. And likewise, on that night when he took the wine and he poured out, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. He didn't just, he didn't just offer that and then do nothing about it. Then he went and had his body broken. He went and had his blood poured out for us. And we remember that as we come to this table and share this today of what was done for us. Thank you for being here this morning. And thank you for taking the time to sit in silence and reflect and to focus on what gives us the encouragement and strength to do that.